Last week, Guy explored the topic of the five aggregates, these five areas of experience. Heaps of stuff, I think he called them. (laughs) Heaps of stuff, (laughs) something like that. Um, And the teachings highlight these five aspects of experience as places where we tend to get caught Places where we tend to cling and create a sense of self around these five areas. And so they're worth exploring in some depth. It can be useful to get to know these processes in our experience. To begin to recognize how they work and to see how the clinging and craving and selfing manifests around these areas. Earlier this week, Sally talked about Vedna, the process of feeling and the experience of feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral aspect of our experience. And the way we get caught around that through craving and clinging, Vedna being one of the five aggregates, but also found in the four foundations of mindfulness. So she explored it from the perspective of the four foundations of mindfulness. Tonight I'd like to pick another of the five aggregates to highlight here. And that is the topic of perception. The process of recognizing what's happening in our experience. On the surface of it, this seems like a really simple process. This aspect of experience of recognizing something, knowing something's happening and then kind of recognizing it from the past. It's almost like this, um, I give it almost like a, a process that goes into our memory banks and retrieves this shape, this form, oh, that's that thing. Or this sound, that's that thing. It's this process by which we recognize experience. So it seems like a fairly simple part of our experience. And yet the suttas point to ways that not understanding this simple aspect of experience leads to so much suffering in our own lives, but not only in our own experience. Also, it points to misunderstanding around this process of perception as one of the sources for conflict in the world. So very useful to begin to get familiar with this process and begin to see, how does this confusion happen? What goes on? So perception is this very simple function of mind that based on sense contact, there's a kind of a process that takes that sense contact and then identifies it. A very natural function of mind that happens in every moment of experience. And so we meet our experience and this, this, uh, the process of perception is kind of 
It sounds simple at the beginning, but it is a layered process too. And so initially we may meet our experience, the sense of sight, the bare kind of sight. The mind recognizes shape and color, form and color. And then from that form and color, the mind begins to make sense of the objects. So the mind might first recognize flat brown, looking at the back of the room, flat and brown, and then recognize that's a wall. So it's it's kind of got this layered nature to it. Recognizing this, for example, round and brown. And then we recognize it as bell. This all happens so fast that we don't have to think about it. It's a very useful function of our mind to do this recognition. If we had to, every time we walked into a room, figure out what people were and what zabutans were and what floors and walls were, it would, it would exhaust us. The brain power, you know, the, the amount of, of mental energy it would take to do that every single time, I think would exhaust us. And so this function of perception, I almost think of as an energy-saving device. It helps us to move more quickly through the world. And so we can actually start to see this process at work in this simple way as we explore, as, we, as the mindfulness gets more continuous. We can actually see this happening. On one retreat, I remember I was sitting on the porch and I just turned my head and my eye landed on this patch of the of nature on the side over here. And I I heard, I saw the experience being kind of categorized and figured out. There was the there was green, and then there was the recognition of jagged. And then the mind recognized it as leaf. Kind of in three discrete steps. Green, jagged leaf. I watched that happen in the mind. I wasn't trying to see it. And so again, it's the continuity of mindfulness that can start to reveal the subtler processes at work in the mind. Sometimes when um, we can also see this process at work when the mind isn't quite sure of what something is. If the light is dim or um, you're looking at a distance at something, you can sometimes see the mind trying on various perceptions for what you're looking at. At one point I walked into a room, it was, I walked into a, the the kind of sitting area at a retreat center. I think it was a two-week retreat I was on, and pretty quiet. The light was pretty dim in the room. As I walked into the room, there was this form, a large form across the room. The very first thing my mind did with that was it identified it as a deformed being. And my mind then said, no. 
not a deformed being. But it took a while. It kept like looking at it, looking at it, and finally it recognized it as a vase of flowers. So you can kind of begin to see this process at work at times if the mind isn't quite recognizing what's happening. I saw this, I saw this happen the other day. I was walking down the road with Greg and we were looking into the distance and there was a lump on the road and my mind went, dead animal. And we talked about it. He said, it's pretty big. It's probably not a squirrel. And I thought, porcupine. I had seen a porcupine. But we got up to it and it was a clot of dirt. So again, the mind, the mind will make these attributions. Perception is very prone to making mistakes. And herein lies some of the issue with perception. So this process of perception, very normal, very natural function of mind, it can get us into trouble. It can take us out into delusion, confusion, when we don't understand it. What's happening there? We don't understand the process of perception. Each of the five aggregates that guy described has an analogy that the texts associate with it. These, the, the Buddha was a master of analogies. It's really quite amazing the, the evocative power these analogies have. And in the, uh, the case of the aggregates, the commentaries say that the analogies that are, are used for each of the aggregates are used to point to the ways in which we get confused or deluded by that particular process. And so for the aggregate of perception, the analogy for perception is that it is like a mirage. I looked up actually what mirages are because, you know, we think, I think often we use the word mirage kind of casually to mean just in a hallucination. You know, we just think so somebody's seeing a mirage, they're seeing a hallucination. But what mirages actually are, and I'm sure that the Buddha was aware of this, is uh, like the classic mirage that happens in a desert of seeing a lake. What that actually is, what's actually happening there, is that the, um, the, 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 the desert and the air and whatever moisture there is or isn't in the air is acting like a reflector. And what you're seeing when you see a lake on the desert is the reflection of the sky on the ground. So a mirage is a reflection of something that is there, but it's misconceived or misconstrued as being something other than what it is. And so perception, perception, this, this aspect of perception is a place where we tend to get caught that we take in experience, 
we meet experience, we perceive something. We perceive a dead porcupine on the road and we respond to that image, or that perception. So the perception is a reflection of what's out there, but it's not what's out there. It's a reflection in our minds. And so often what happens, we respond to the reflection thinking it's reality or truth. And so very often we relate to our experience. We relate to our experience through perception as being an accurate representation of reality. But perception very easily gets distorted. It very easily makes a mistake. It's often also distorted by interpretation. And so if we don't understand perception, this is a major area of where delusion enters in to our experience. We believe our perceptions to be accurate representations of reality. Now, their perceptions, as I said, they're very useful. It's not that we're trying to stop perception. We couldn't do that anyway. Perception is said to be one of the uh, seven um, universal concomitants for every moment of consciousness. There's seven universal factors that arise in every moment of consciousness, and perception is said to be one of those. So we're not going to stop perception, but we can learn to understand it as perception and learn not to be fooled into believing our perceptions are truth. They are our perceptions. And so the first place to begin to explore is just can we maybe begin to recognize this process at work? It's possible to recognize this process at work with the mindfulness getting stronger. I wouldn't say this is something to try to do. What I'm going to describe in terms of ways that I've experienced this. Generally, the ways that I've experienced this have come because I've just been available. Well, not just that I've been available, that I've heard people talk about this process. I've heard it described. And then, in being available for my experience, I can begin to see it. And that's part of the function of this, uh, this kind of talk. It's not to tell you, go find this in your experience, but the description of it may kind of unlock a little uh, possibility in your mind, and then it might be possible for you to see it. And so it's not something to do. It's more of a description of something that might be experienced. So for me, the place that has been the most easy or natural to recognize this process of perception is in the avenue of hearing. When I'm sitting with my eyes closed in meditation, you know, there's all kinds of sounds arising, right? 
There's the pings of the radiator and there's the, you know, the sounds of cars on the road or sounds of construction or birds or coughs and sneezes, all of those things. There's the, the sound that hits the ear and then the mind identifies it. It happens so fast. We hardly even think about it. We hardly even think that it's a process. It's just, oh, we've heard a sneeze. That's what we think. We've heard a sneeze or we've heard a car. But we've heard the, the vibration and the mind has recognized it, interpreted it, categorized it as sneeze or as car. And it does this often, at least um, in, my, in my experience, it will do this through thought, so a, a form of thought. And so I'll be sitting in meditation and I'll hear the car. And the mind will go, car. A thought, car, will appear. Or maybe it'll be, I'm sitting there hearing and there's a, the sound of, uh, of the drill out on the, on the roof. And my mind will create an image of a person on the roof with a drill. This is, the, this is perception at work. This creation of an identification or recognition of what's happening. So it's easiest for me, it's one of the easiest avenues for seeing it is with sound for me. I think partly because um, the avenue for recognition for many of us, I think, comes through um, image or often through um, words in the mind. And so there's a, there's a distinction or there's a contrast in a way. We recognize something, the sound arises, and then we might hear our mind say the word, car or truck or drill or radiator. This is perception. And this is this process. Some of you, some of you have talked about recognizing this recognizing this mind that's identifying or naming experience. So this naming is one way that perception works. It's one kind of perception. Perception's actually responsible for many uh, um, ways we recognize experience. Just a simple identification of objects through naming them is one way, one form of perception. Perception also creates space, location, direction, time. One example of this around um, space and location, I was uh, meditating in Hawaii uh, for six weeks earlier this year. Birds rule in Hawaii. There are so many birds there. And uh, that was for days, actually. Sometimes there would be hours on end where the only sounds I heard were the sounds of the birds. You know, there wasn't much else. So there's all of these birds' sounds. And I began to recognize that the sense of space was created with the hearing. I would hear a sound and the mind would create an idea Ah, that sound is over there, in that location, in that direction. So it created this three-dimensional experience through the 
recognition of sound. Sometimes I've had the experience of when hearing a sound, it's almost like my mind like moves out into space, up in the air somewhere, in the direction of where that sound was. That's perception, creating that sense of distance and location. I would say the easiest way to recognize perception is through this naming, but I just wanted to to put out there and, and, and uh, say that it also is responsible for these other forms of recognizing various aspects of our experience. Perception is what allows us to um, walk up the stairs without falling over. You know, the, the distance and height of a step. So we can begin to see this identification as a process. When it's not recognized, this identification of a perception, often, again, as I said, it can come as a thought. This name perception can come as a thought. And so close to thought, if we don't notice this, if we don't see the mind recognizing sound, car, we may start thinking about cars. We may start thinking about where that car is going. So many times sitting in this hall, I have heard the sound of a car driving down Pleasant Street. My mind would create an image of the car driving down Pleasant Street. When I saw that, when I saw that, I could just recognize it as seeing, as an image, as the process of perception, recognizing that sound. When I didn't recognize it, the likelihood would be that there was the perception, the recognition of it as car, and then the image of the car driving down Pleasant Street, and then there's the notion of what's down at the end of Pleasant Street. Oh, that's Barry. What's in Barry? Oh, there's that. I won't say what's down in Barry. <laughs> so, so, so the mind can quickly move from perception to thinking to getting lost. I would say this is one of the main avenues at which our mind wanders. We do not not recognize that perception has happened and the mind slips out into thinking about it. As Guy mentioned the other day, also with perception, there's often um, emotional associations that come with perception. And this is another avenue from which we can get lost. As a perception arises, if it comes with emotional overtones, if those emotions aren't recognized as coming with the perception, we can slip out into the emotions. So perceptions very naturally impact our experience. How we perceive our experience has a huge impact on how we respond to it. This is highlighted sometimes when we misperceive something. A classic analogy about this is um, misperceiving a rope as a snake. Walk into a room with a dim light, 
a coiled form in the corner, the mind might misperceive that as a snake and become frightened. As soon as the mind recognizes it's not a snake, it's a rope, the fear vanishes. So we see that how we perceive what we're perceiving has it, has an, can have an emotional impact on us as well. I had a really clear example of this unfolded over several days in Burma. Each evening when I was meditating, I had a, a hurt, was hearing a sound, a kind of a high-pitched squealing sound. And my mind identified this high-pitched squealing sound as a pig. And, you know, I was right that the, the monasteries often are very close to villages. And so, you know, it's pretty close to the wall of the monastery. And, you know, in vision, I'd al- I was always hearing sounds from the village kind of coming over the wall from the loudspeakers or, you know, whatever else noise there, w- there was. Just the noise of the village was, was around. And so the sound of a pig squealing, I, you know, interpret this as, as um, you know, a pig in the village. But this sound had a kind of what I interpreted, and I recognize this as an interpretation, as a a distressed quality to it. And um, I began to create this notion that uh, this pig, the pigs that I was hearing each evening squealing were being slaughtered by the butcher for the next day's sale. And so... Compassion was arising in me regularly each time I would hear this sound. Now, I knew, I knew that this was an idea in my mind. But still, it was compelling to me. And the sound sounded so distressed. The pig squealing sounded so distressed that that, that was the response, this feeling of compassion. So this went on for some days, maybe even weeks of hearing the sound and feeling this compassion when I heard this squealing sound. And then one evening, instead of sitting in my room at that time of day, I was out walking. And I uh, saw these, um, these bats flying in the air. And they were squealing, these bats. That was what I had been hearing. It had not crossed my mind at all. It had not at all crossed my mind the possibility that I had not been hearing pigs at all. It was a complete misperception. And of course, the compassion vanished. There's you know, no need for the compassion when there are no pigs, even. <laughs> so the, 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 the mind created the perception the mind responded to that perception. And the mind believed it. The whole thing was believed. This is often how perception works in our minds. It's easier to see when perception makes a mistake how our responses are to something constructed in our mind. It became fairly easy to recognize at that point, oh my gosh, you know, that whole thing, that whole notion of, of the, that it was a pig, that it was a pig being slaughtered, the compassion, it was all a construct, a construct of the mind. It was fairly easy to see that when perception made a mistake. It's harder to see that 
we are responding to our perceptions and not to what's actually out there with all of the perceptions that we're having. We so easily take our perceptions to be reality. So little examples like this where perception makes a mistake can begin to highlight or show us how we are attributing reality to our perceptions. So the teachings in the suttas connect this process of perception particularly closely with a deluding or deceiving influence in the mind. That process of papancha. The texts don't really give a clear definition of papancha, but they describe its function. They describe how it works in the mind. There's one particular sutta in particular that um, kind of goes through how perception leads to this process of papancha and then feeds, fo- feeds back in, in a cycle. So here's the, here's the process at work. And this first part of this just describes how perception works, basically. So dependent on the eye and forms, and this is repeated, of course, with all six sense bases, Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. So this is the simple, you know, something, sight, uh, the eye, they meet, and there's the knowing of it. The meeting of the three is contact. So there's this contact of the experience. With contact as condition, there is feeling. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. What one feels, that one perceives. So we have this contact, there's a feeling and a perception. These two can occur pretty close together. Just There's the contact, there's the feeling, the perceiving. What one perceives, that one thinks about. So this is kind of like the, you know, recognize it as a car, and then thinking about the car going down Pleasant Street. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. That is uh, one translation for this word papancha, mental proliferation. One um, way that might be understood is the mind kind of starting to run riot. We experience something, we perceive it, we start to think about it, and then the mind goes crazy with thought. We see this happen in sitting a lot. Um, You know, we may experience a little twinge in the knee or a little twinge in the body and then feel that there's the there's the unpleasant feeling of it there's the recognition of it as you know unpleasant experience in the knee and uh, maybe a sharp pain and then the mind starts thinking about it what's happening I've been sitting I've been sitting now for four weeks and the knee is starting to bother me and oh my goodness you know four weeks of sitting like this it may create a crippled leg. I'm, I'm not going to be able to walk again. Things like this, I, I know you all know what I'm talking about. You know, this, we go from a twinge in our cheek to cancer 
in seconds. This is one way that the mind moves from a recognition to the mind kind of proliferating, spreading, running riot. The mind runs amok. Then, the description says, it goes on, with what one has mentally proliferated, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset one with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. That's what the texts say. That's a little bit complicated. I'll read it again, and then I'll give you a sense of what I, how I understand this. So with what one has mentally proliferated, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset one with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable by the eye. And so we have some idea. Pain equals crippled leg. Some, you know, something like that. And then that idea of crippled leg gets overlaid on our experience of the pain. And every time we are experiencing that pain, it's coming through that lens of crippled, oh no, oh no, and aversion just mushrooms. So an, a kind of another example of this, for ex- you know, so suppose, su- of, of how this works, suppose you're, you know, walking down the street and you see somebody. You know, that's often a kind of a neutral experience, just seeing a person walking down the street. But in this case, perhaps this person has uh, an appearance that reminds you of someone who has harmed you in some way in the past. You may recognize consciously that it's not the same person, but at the same time, that notion of having been harmed by somebody that has a similar appearance can come in to the experience and create a feeling of fear with that perception. This kind of thing happens a lot to us. Our past comes into our present through the workings of our mind, through the workings of papancha, and distort our perception of the present moment. One person calls this term papancha, actually gives it the term distorted perception. So this distortion of perception, this papancha, is one of the ways that delusion begins to enter in, connected with perception. So this, this one definition of papancha, mental proliferation, this is how Bhikkhu Bodhi translates it in the texts, sometimes is described as a mind full of thinking or the mind that run, runs riot with thought. And the Pali itself for the, uh, the term papancha means something like spreading, And so there could be some justification for this translation. 
And yet I've gotten interested in this term because there are various places in the texts that talk about the freedom from papancha in a way that makes it seem like it's way more uh, fundamental and more um, a, a kind of a deep freedom, more than simply not having the mind thinking all kinds of thoughts. There's some places in the sutta where it, there's one, one text where it says that the goal of this practice is, is for one who, it gives a bunch of different things. It, it says like maybe eight different things. It's like the goal of this practice is for one who's free from delusion. The goal of this practice is for one who's free from clinging. The goal of this practice is for one who's free from papancha. So it includes that. And to me, this, this implies a deeper kind of freedom than simply freedom from a lot of thinking in the mind. We can attain a state of, of quietude in the mind through concentration, and yet that's not the freedom. And so I've been curious about this term and have done some exploration, read various people's views and perspectives on this term. And Tanisaro Bhikkhu has been kind of instrumental in my uh, reflection on this term. He talks about this term from how it's used in the, it was used in the time of, of or in early India, this term papancha was used to... Um, refer to the elaboration of a theme in art. So for instance, um, you might in music, for example, as, li- as you're listening to music, you might pick up on a theme of, se- of several notes, you know, a particular theme that you hear repeated at different ways at different times. And so your mind kind of hooks to that theme and there's a, there can become an emotional resonance with that theme. So the, 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 that use of that term was the creation of a theme in art for the evocation of a response. So this, um, the term may in our minds also refer to something along the lines of the creation of a theme So we take things in with perception. Now, if we look at this this uh, this sutta again, what one perceives, that one thinks about, what one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates, or that one creates ideas about, or that one creates concepts about. So we take things in with perception, and then we create an idea about that. We believe that idea. And then with that belief, we in turn overlay that belief on our experience and view experience through that belief. This may be related to what is meant by papancha, kind of creation of a theme or creation of an object even. 
we take in experience, we perceive it, and our minds turn it into an object. This is, this is a person, this is a wall, this is a floor. This is a dead porcupine in the road. The mind creates the, the, with the perception, it creates the idea of an object and then believes the object, believes that it is reality. Tanisaru Bhikkhu actually uses the term objectification to translate papancha. The creation of objects and the believing of, those, of that creation. Rather than understanding that what's happening is a process in our own minds and we're relating to a perception, we relate to what we have perceived as being something true, something real. Another possible definition for this might be reification. I like this term reification. The the, um, definition of reification is the error of treating a concrete of treating as a concrete thing something which is not concrete but merely an idea. This is kind of what happens with perception in our usual way of relating. We don't recognize what's happening as being relating to perception. We take it to be relating to something real, something concrete. This gets more poignant in a way when we reflect on how the suttas teach that this process of papancha, of distorted perception, is intimately connected with conflict and suffering in the world. Our beliefs, our taking in information and believing our perceptions to be reality creates the conditions for people with different perceptions having different views of reality and meeting that kind of conflict there. If you recall the story of the, the blind people and the elephant I told a couple of weeks ago, this is kind of that, that kind of thing. People bringing in a perception and creating a reality from that perception. An elephant is like a post, an elephant is like a hose, and then coming to blows over that. This is papancha at work. That process of believing our perceptions to be some kind of reality. In our in our world, in our culture, the, the notion of race has been responsible for so much conflict and suffering. And there's very good uh, scientific evidence for the fact that race is non-existent. It is not a biological phenomenon. It is a construct of mind. It is n- there's nothing real about it. And yet, 
the power of the delusion and the mind believing its reality creates very real suffering in this world. And so we cannot, I think as a culture, we can't really afford to uh, dismiss this, oh, it's just an illusion. You know, we really need to look at how we are perceiving things and recognize them as just processes, just perceptions. And to recognize when they are being believed in a way and creating suffering in the world. There's a very powerful um, film that I watched a couple of years ago whose title encapsulates this notion. It's called Race, the Power of an Illusion. Just speaking to the illusion of that and how much suffering it has created in the world. The power of our beliefs. One scholar says, this is Professor Palihawadana, the process of distorted perception, his translation for Papancha, the process of distorted perception of placing every bare perception into a framework of emotions and beliefs that have come out of our past, our history, our conditioning, robs the freshness out of our experience. But we are not aware of this constant interference of the past. Because of this unawareness, which is our ignorance and our delusion, we see humanity fragmented as me and others, us and them, and in various stereotypes, skin color, ethnicity, language, ideology included. This process of papancha in the text is said the root of this process of papancha is said to be the thought, I am. This creation of a sense of identity, a sense of self. And what does that do? Creation of a sense of I am. It creates a subject, but a subject doesn't exist without an object. And so the creation of I am creates us and them, me and that. So I think this this process of papancha is in this area, this creation of separation in the world. Through this exploration of perception, of seeing just how uh, the, the examples of, um, distor- of, of misperception g- really give us the sense of creation of mind having a, a huge impact on how we navigate the world, how we feel about the world. So this, per- this exploration begins to point us to, as Guy was saying this morning, or pointing to this morning in the 
the guided meditation, every experience is appearance. It's all appearances. It's all reflections. We reify it into something solid rather than knowing it as appearances. When we can know experience as appearance, wisdom can help us to not make the mistakes not make the mistake of taking something to be real that is simply an appearance. It's kind of mind-blowing when we start to feel into this and, and recognize this. Everything we experience is a creation of our minds. There is nothing that we don't experience, that we experience that is not a creation of our minds. I happen to be of the belief that there's things out there, you know. I think you're all out there. I don't think, I don't think that, you know, I'm sitting here giving a Dharma talk in my mind and, you know, it's just, there's nothing, no, no one out there listening to it. But my experience is mediated through the mind. And all that I can know of experience is mediated through the mind. Everything we experience is appearance. It doesn't mean that we don't engage skillfully or that it doesn't mean that we like, have free, free reign to do whatever we want to. But we begin to recognize that we misunderstand appearances as reality. And that therein lies a lot of our suffering and a lot of suffering in the world. So suffering is created by clinging in the mind. The clinging itself is a pattern in the mind, that holding on to. But what we actually want what we're clinging to is also nothing more than something created by the mind. Seeing this is quite freeing when we recognize that all of it, the suffering, the clinging, what we are clinging to is all created by the mind. in that recognition, the mind begins to understand it doesn't need to do that process. It doesn't have to create that suffering. When we actually witness this process at work, the mind begins to learn, gain the wisdom that allows it to let go. allows it to let go of those processes that create the suffering in our minds and allow it to ripple out into the world and impact other people as well. And so we can't stop perception. We don't even want to try to stop perception. 
But what is helpful is to begin to recognize that perception, when, that we can recognize perception as a process. Recognize that this is a creation of mind, that what I'm re- responding to is a creation of mind. If we really understand this, the mind loses its traction to clinging. And so, you know, this is a, I find this to be a very interesting exploration and experience, and yet it's not something, as I said earlier, it's not something to try to do. Just observe, just watch your experience. Simplicity, simplicity of just observing. The processes can begin to become apparent. We begin to recognize experience as just appearance. Through the meeting, there's just the simple meeting of our experience. We don't have to believe this. We don't have to try to do it. We don't have to try to find it. Just keep observing in a very simple way. Let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.